0: I really gotta say, I really, I'm always thankful to Coach Bell. He is one of the uh, few persons, few people that has impacted my life. I mean, when I was about to quit running, because at the end of my collegiate career, I really thought about quitting running. He told me that that would have been such a waste of talent, because like he knew, he believed in my potential, and uh, the fact that I'm running fast now, it's also thank to him. Thanks to him.
1: Veteran Nation, you want a fulfilling career while giving back to the sport you love, we may have the opportunity for you. The opportunity of a lifetime could be a crazy running franchise. Crazy running offers running track and field conditioning programs from athletes ages three to 17. Crazy running started in 2009 with a small group of crazy runners training on one track. They dreamed of reaching more kids and sharing their passion across the country. Now they've expanded to five different States and they're looking for Let's Runners passionate about running to expand even further with a crazy running franchise. If you've got a passion for running, which you do, enjoy working with kids, think on your feet, you're a positive person and want to motivate and lead others, this is a financially and personally rewarding, flexible career. This can be a full-time thing, but it's really a perfect side gig for those of you trying to train full-time. Check it out, crazyrunning.com franchise Link in the show notes. give it a thought.
0: Look at the time Europeans say that he hasn't really been in a war yet but this boy's got utter to believe in it somehow she's found the acceleration
2: Welcome to the Let's run.com Track Talk podcast. Jacob Kiplimo and Helen O'Beary have taken the New York City Half Marathon titles, where Des Linden and Ben True showed that they are back, baby, ahead of the Boston Marathon next month. Plus, is Galen Rupp done? What about Molly Huddle? We'll dive deep into that race. And we hear from On Athletics Club coach Dathan Ritzenhine, who Weldon talked to in New York, and he revealed when he knew that Yara Neguse was a super talent. Elsewhere, New Zealand Olympian and national record holder in the half marathon and full marathon Zane Robertson has been busted for eight years after claiming he was injected with EPO while trying to get the COVID vaccine. Where does that rank among the all-time doping excuses? Plus, in our Where Your Dreams Become Reality segment, we have an interview with Ilias Ewanee. Went from being Syracuse's seventh man at NCAA cross just five years ago to running an Italian record of two oh seven sixteen in the marathon in Barcelona on Sunday. That interview will be at the end of the show. We've got plenty to talk to you before to talk about before then. This is Jonathan Gaul. I am joined by my co-hosts and the co-founders of letsrun.com, Robert Robin and Weldon Johnson. Guys, I'm back from vacation. I'm ready to talk some running. I hope you miss me
3: i did jonathan a delayed edition of the track talk podcast we had to wait an extra day so you could save this ship we definitely missed you i'm kind of sorry that you're such a big profile you're so big now in the media world you can't go on vacation without being harassed by the fans apparently people were recognizing you in paris
2: I want but. to step right in and correct the record. This was not a harassment. This was a very pleasant encounter. I was at Les Invalides, which is where Napoleon Bonaparte is buried. Sunday morning, I'm just sitting at a little bench outside with my sister who I went on the trip with in Paris. Uh, that was where I was on vacation. And someone in a Notre Dame jacket comes up to me and says, are you Jonathan Golt from Let'sRun.com? I was like, Yeah, I am. He's like, hey, I'm James. I'm a listener of the podcast, big fan of the pod. You know, I wasn't sure it was you. I was, I decided to come over, struck up a little conversation. He was on vacation in Paris as well. Very pleasant. Great to meet him. And then my sister was kind of looked at me funny. It was like, kind of, she was just kind of amazed that someone in this foreign country had come up and recognized me. This has happened at running events. Like, if I'm at like World Cross Country, I might get recognized by someone, but I get that because it's a track meet. This to happen in the real world, this is, might have been the first time ever it's happened in the real world. Uh, so it was, it was kind of funny, but very nice to meet James. Uh, and I hope he had a good time. And I hope he had as good a time in Paris as I did.
3: Well, I definitely missed you, John. I took Sunday morning off from covering the NYC half because Weldon was there and a potential summer intern. Figured they could handle everything, and like 11 o'clock, there was no recap up. Very little, even, concept that the race had taken place at 7 a.m. that morning, and tried to call Weldon several times, and he wasn't picking up. Finally, he texted me and said, do you need something? I'm at lunch. I figured, wow, he must be meeting with a new NYRR head. At least he's getting something done. Got to call back a little bit later. Just a personal lunch, John. Just a personal lunch on the company dime, probably. Fake news. Fake news.
2: Well, (laughs) you're saying this didn't happen, Weldon?
1: I was at lunch. It was not on the company dime. I'm now a man of the cloth. I'm ordained to do weddings throughout the country. Not technically yet in New York City. But my wife's cousin is getting married in June, and I am the minister. I was meeting with them. Look, this is the half marathon. I did the interviews. I talked. We have exclusive audio I haven't released. I'm, I'm leaking this stuff out, like the British soccer journalists. They go to game on Saturday. Somebody writes a generic recap of the game. I use Race Results Weekly much better than a generic recap. I had put results up immediately, put some interviews up, and now I'm drip-feeding the good stuff throughout the week. Tathan Ritsenhein have not revealed what he said about Goose. It'll be right here, exclusive on the podcast. We Also, we can talk about Chris Thompson. This guy's 41 years old. He says 210 is the minimum standard in the marathon. Not sure if that's for masters or just regular people. Tells us how much super shoes are want, worth if you want to go there.
2: We got lots of great stuff to talk about. Maybe that is the best approach because the end of March until the middle of April when we get Boston and London Marathons, this is kind of the doldrums on the running calendar. There isn't usually a lot going on. New York City Marathon was good. We got a lot of big names out there. Helen O'Beary and Jacob Kiplimo, obviously two of the stars of the sport, but from now until Boston... Am I missing anything? There aren't really any big time events coming. I guess there's a World Athletics Council meeting this week where they might decide on Russia's fate. We get an update on some future events. But if, if there's any time to drip feed the content, it would be now. Well, then.
3: Well, John, I'm kind of glad there's a brief break here in the schedule because I think on Friday, Friday 15, our bonus podcast, this Friday, we should pick the 2024 U.S. Olympic track and field team for the distances. It's the perfect time to do it because we're doing the regular podcast a day late, so unless something breaks in the next two days, there's not going to be any new news to talk about. There are really any races to preview this weekend. We should do that on Friday. If you haven't signed up for the Supporters Club, you better do it now. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Yeah,
1: I thought there was no news this week, John. Last night, I was updating the Doping polls about to put the polls live on which men's distance stars you thought were clean or dirty. Robert texted. Can you read my Zane Robertson article? Didn't really get to that right away. Somehow I missed the biggest news of the week. And this is where we got to start Zane Robertson of New Zealand. One of the identical twins who moved to Kenya at the age of 17 to train Tested positive for EPO. Initially he said he didn't take EPO. He was actually went in for a COVID shot and they accidentally gave him EPO. And he's been banned for the sport by for eight years because he came up with such a BS excuse. But this is huge. Because I think it's the intersection of, of so many things in our sport. Doping. Kenya. Western athletes. Biases. How pervasive is doping throughout the world? And I think there's connections to all of this with this case.
2: Yeah, the Robertson twins, they moved to Kenya back in 2006 or 2007. Like you said, when they were 17 to try to become the best they could be. And they both ended up being very good runners. You know, Uh, Zane was 12th in the 2016 Olympic final in the 10,000. He ran 27.33. That was a New Zealand record at the time, which has since been broken by Jake. He's the New Zealand record holder in the half marathon, 59.47, and the full marathon, 208.19. Now, he wasn't in Kenya for that whole time. He did move to Ethiopia after a few years in Kenya. But their whole gamble, moving out there, they barely knew anyone. They just bet on themselves it looked like it was paying off because of these results. They became world-class distance runners, which is what they were trying to do. And that was one of the big reasons it was such a compelling story, right? Is who does this? What Americans would ever move out to Kenya at 17 and just try to become professional runners? Doesn't happen. So to see Western runners do it was very interesting. But then, of course, now, now it's like, do we question everything this guy's done? He's 33 years old. His results... He officially, he technically he said he retired earlier this year, and now it comes out, well, actually, he knew he was facing down basically a career-ending suspension anyway, which he neglected to mention when he announced his retirement. But now we have to ask, was it a case of he was getting older, he saw doping around him, he got disillusioned, and just decided he would try it and hope he didn't get caught? Or... Has he been doping the entire time and he got careless and it finally came back to bite him? I would really like to hear what he has to say on this t- subject. He hasn't said anything publicly to this point, but you have to question everything this guy has accomplished. When you busted free PO, you don't get a lot of credit among running fans.
3: Personally, I've been of the belief if you get popped for something that could not accidentally get in your system, all of your records should be invalidated. But do I think he was doping the whole time? To be honest, I probably don't. I mean, what's interesting to me also is in 2016, this is a guy that was extremely outspoken about doping. Before the Olympics, he admitted, "quote told news, news talk news he told news talk in, in New Zealand, I have been close to doping. I can't name people or countries because I had some death threats a few months ago. Just for even mentioning the topic around the area. I don't want to get killed for doing what is right or speaking up, but I feel Twitter and social media are a place I can do that. I was approached once in 2007 by someone in Kenya. As you can see in my results over the years, I was nowhere. As a youth growing up in New Zealand, sportsmanship and general morals, you can't consider that. It's not something normal for us. The approach happened really early on. It was kind of weird. I'd never experienced anything like that before. He just came to us and gave us his card and said he was a doctor who specialized in sports performance. We said, what type of performance? And he said, everything that will make you run faster. He gave us his card and left quickly. So, I mean, who knows? Like, Was this a front? Was this a cover? This ties in so many things, as Weldon said. I mean, I can tie this to... Jama Aden, Mofera, I have questions. Hell, even Paula Radcliffe. I know a lot of people think she was on drugs. I always say, well, if she was, I don't think she was at the beginning when she was carrying signs to the world saying EPO cheats out. But sometimes you just get fed up, see everybody else doing it and join the dark side. I don't know. It, it's just, it, it's a disturbing story to me. I, I think that, like, one of, I w- I've been saying this for, you know, every so often on the show, I think. But one of my biggest disappointments as an adult is learning that the world is corrupt, or there's a lot of corrupt people, a lot of cheating, stealing going on. And I think that when he and his brother moved there at 17, they wanted to be the best of the world, learn from the best in the world. They didn't dream of like, oh, let's be cheats and cheat our way to the top. And here they are, or at least here he is, 16 years later. Doing it and then coming up with a whopper of an excuse and forging documents to try to do it, but apparently was caught on that.
2: Yeah, that thing that was interesting. I mean, I guess if you're getting, he's 33, and if he accepted the suspension, just admitted that I did it, he could get a one year reduction. It would be three years, but that's still taking until he's 36. He essentially gambled that he would get no time off. Because he was probably thinking, well, three years, eight years, doesn't really matter. I'm going to shoot for zero, and if I don't get zero, I'll just retire. But we've seen a lot of these excuses. The AIU, certainly in the last few years, I'll give them credit, they've dug into some of these explanations and found they're not credible. You know, these medical records that you're providing, they don't line up with the hospital's actual record. Sometimes the hospitals don't even exist. So... From that angle, I commend the AIU, and they said that there's a cooperation here between the AIU, beti- between the athletic, the anti-doping agency of Kenya, and from Drug Free Sport New Zealand. All of them <laughs> work together on this case. So that's also you know, commendations there. But Robert, you mentioned, was this something he was doing his whole career, or did he just turn to the dark side later? If I had to guess, not really knowing any knowing zane personally my guess would be this is something he just started doing later in his career after perhaps getting disillusioned going off the quotes he said but do i know that 100% no that's just my instinct of the most likely scenario
3: yeah but there's a message board poster and i looked up his ip address he's coming from new zealand he said oh it's an open secret here everybody here knew that they were dirty in new zealand so i asked him to explain why they thought that um and I've been reading on the message board. I'll probably get sued if I was in Europe. People are like, oh, Julian Wanders, another Western guy from Europe living in New Zealand. I mean, living in the, in Kenya. Is he doping? You know? But, I mean, there's no evidence they are. But I, I do think this, like, when you're living in the – when you're from a Western country, this is just my personal opinion. And you go to Africa to train, it makes me more suspicious. Like, Although Kenya is doing a great job of 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 catching people nowadays, but by the way, he was not caught for a test in Kenya. He was caught taking a, ha- a test at I think the Great North Run, right?
2: Uh, three Manchester Run in England in May of twenty twenty two. But you know,
3: I, I know supporters called women Desland and went to Kenya. Maybe you want to get rid of the distractions. But uh, you know, I, I I talked about the ties to, to. I would hope that if this guy knows it. People are like oh. Hopefully he comes clean. But we say that about everybody. Why do we think he's more likely to come clean than everybody else? And he's got to live in Kenya the rest of his life. You think he's just – I mean, in Baltimore where I live, you come clean, you get shot and killed. He'd already said that in 2016, you get shot and killed. So oh. I'm not optimistic that he's going to gonna come clean on everybody. But, you know, the the ties here are fascinating because we've heard a lot about doping in Kenya, and it's always struck me as weird. I, I know that Kenya and Ethiopia aren't the same. It sounds like there's just more – free form of medic- medical care in Kenya. But I'm like, there's got to be doping in Ethiopia. How can we never hear about it? Well, this guy spent a decent number amount of time in Ethiopia. He's married to an Ethiopian. So he was going back and forth between the countries. His ex-girlfriend was part of Jama Aden's group. She was popped for the biological passport. So that was in 2017. And when that happened, I think I put something on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on a thread. I said, now this gets interesting. And I'd forgotten I did that. I, I looked at the post, I all started it, but I'm pretty sure I changed the title to that because I was like, whoa, here. You know, it, you know. just because your ex-girlfriend did something doesn't, or ex fiance did something doesn't mean you did it, but just makes it much more likely now that he's actually positive for EPO. You know. And
2: wow. the ABP violations, that were, her results were stripped from 2014 to 2016. Now, I don't know exactly when they were together, or when they broke up, but... Seems like she was doping quite some time ago. So that would also, that's another sort of reason you Uh, might think, oh, this actually isn't something he just started doing when he got older.
3: So, And he moved to Kenya when? 2007, John? Is that right? 2006
2: or 2007, yeah. and, And
3: he got approached right away. The other thing that's crazy here is, who took him in in Kenya?
2: Patrick Sang was one of the first people he worked with there.
3: Oh, I didn't know that. I, I wasn't trying to go there and apply anything about Patrick shame, but I knew that Shaheen, the world record holder in the steeplechase, was very gracious to him. And these kids, kids had no money, and he let them live there. So, I don't know. He gets there right away, and apparently he says, in, at least in 2016. Now, who, who knows if we should believe anything he says. But, you know, his backstory was we were bullied a lot of these kids in New Zealand. We decided we got into running. They take you down if you try to excel in New Zealand at anything except for rugby. We just went to Kenya, didn't know what we were going to do. Shaheen was nice to us. We kept training. But there's another post on the message board from a Let's Run visitor who ran with him, Zane, in New York, I think in 2016. And he said that Zane told him as Kiprop was on drugs at the time. Now, Kiprop didn't get popped, I don't think, until 2019. So I asked the message message board poster. He said, oh, yeah. He told me, he said, everybody... Based on the way he worked on the workouts, he knew that, which is interesting because I had heard from another person before Kiprop, and this person probably has connections to Zane. The same thing, that Kip Kiprop was dirty before he popped, and I, I loved Kiprop. I'm like, oh, I really hope that's not true, and well, he was popped. So, just a lot to unpack here. Um, and, and in terms of. This part of the message board thread, I mean, it's probably 20 pages long now, was kind of driving me nuts. Some people were saying – I don't know. They were trying to, like, blame it on certain countries. Is this a New Zealand positive? Is this a Kenyan positive? Kenyans were saying it's a Western doping and Westerners were saying it's a Kenyan doping. It's To me, it's just – you can lie, cheat, and steal whether you're from Kenya, New Zealand, America, whatever. Like, Why are we trying to blame it on the country? Ultimately, he's responsible for his decisions, but it's just, I don't know, some people thought I was condoning it. I think you might get worn down if you see everybody else doing it and decide to join the dark side like the cyclists.
1: Yeah, you say, Robert, not to condemn a country, but you just went through and essentially cast some shade on everyone who was associated with in Kenya. And that's kind of how this game works, right? But is it fair?
2: It's a little unfair, unfair that in Kenya, there are really two main training hubs. There's Eldoret and Eten. And a lot of times there aren't a lot of barriers to entry to run or work out with those groups. Like when I say they were connected with Patrick Sang, well, they just started showing up to run at practices where Patrick Sang was. That sort of thing. You can't just show up and start running with the Bowman Track Club or the On Athletics Club in the USA. But if you're in ten or Eldoret. They'll just go on these long runs. And yes, there will be a coach of a pro group nominally in charge of some of them. But you can, it, the barrier to access, if you're a pretty decent, like semi elite runner, you can just show up and start training with some of these guys in a way that you cannot in Western running environments.
1: To some extent, yes, John. But there's a shitload of people training in Flagstaff. You could easily go on a run with the Bowerman and Flagstaff, see people there. But I would say the difference is, and this is where a guy like El Kenyano's gonna get upset. There's not a history of EPO dust bust in Flagstaff. Very few people, a couple people have been popped. So I think doping has been more or at least recently, and there's more runners in Kenya, but a lot more people have been getting caught there. So how systematic is this? How much exposure is there? And can he start naming names? But on the other side of this coin like this message for poster, El Kenyano, who's in Kenya. Why are you going to believe anything this guy says? You just try to lie to the anti-doping authorities and, and, and get off with it.
2: That's a fair question to Oswalden. You have to scrutinize it because, again, yes, he got caught. He tried to lie about it. And then his lie was found out. We still don't know. what. It, it, we haven't seen a second explanation of, oh, this is actually what happened. But. Yes, you would have to question that, given that he does have a history of already trying and failing to cover his tracks.
1: But this does sort of bring out like the tribal allegiances of people, the you know the nationalism, it just sh- sh- there's so many intersections of this. El Kenyano, when he got post busted last night, you know probably woke up and logged posted last night at eleven forty seven east coast time. Pardon my language mods. Feel free to move my post, but karma is an effing biatch. Good riddance to bad rubbish. Now get the bloody cheat out of my country. That's it. I needed to vent. Emoji, emoji. And you're like, whoa, what's that about? And Kenyano in another post, like an hour and a half later, said, he's the one who moved to Ethiopia back in 2016 and claimed, quote, death threats in, in Kenya, that we couldn't prove it. Zane ended up staying in Ethiopia longer and developed deeper ties there while Jake returned to Kenya almost immediately. And then he goes into the other red flag about you know Zane's Ethiopian girlfriend getting busted, but El Kenyano didn't like it because he's like, oh, this guy's saying everyone in Kenya's doping, then goes to Ethiopia, says people trying to kill him, comes back, and now turns out to be a doper himself. It's, he's, you know, like takes some personal responsibility,
3: right? That's true, but then some have come back to El Kenyano and said, hey, it sounds like he was doping in Kenya. So everybody is doping in Kenya, whether they're white, black, Western, or East. You know, from Africa, <laughs> whatever. It's just it, it's really fascinating. And one thing that's unfortunate to me is, like everything in modern world, people are trying to make this a racial argument, saying, "Oh, like you sympathize with white people and not black people," and saying, oh, "He was he was clean early on in his career, but not now." You don't say that about black people? Hell yeah, I do. Kiprop said the same damn thing about Asbel Kiprop. You know, I, I always felt like he was made to run.
2: Yeah, w- it wouldn't have surprised me that Kiprop ran his 326 clean. And then when he starts getting older, he decides, oh, I need a boost. And then he ties to EPO. Speaking of that angle, Robert, El I guess
1: in between the two posts that I mentioned, had a third post saying, The worst part is people instantly trusted them because they're white. What I remember is Zane was always the angrier of the two clashing with villagers and even accusing Elliot Kipchoge, who he doesn't know of age shooting, cheating, claiming Kipchoge was 44 back in 2016. (laughs) Now people are trying to find now trying to find that this tweet. So I don't know if that's the case, but I think one thing to take away from this is yeah, you should have skepticism on anything anyone says. That's why you try to verify stuff. See who they associate, that sort of stuff. But it's... <coughs> we know cheating's going on. We haven't had it with a Westerner really, like, busted in Kenya. There's just so many things going on here. It's just like... It's like the an inkblot test for all your biases. You're going to see in this what you want to see in it. My hope is somehow... Well, with every drug bust I, bust, I hope this. I want him to name names. How how prevalent is this?
3: But people get mad and say, like, oh, you shouldn't insinuate his brother might be on drugs or people associated with him. But I did that in 2016 because his ex-fiancee was busted. And now, look, this case, his suspicion was warranted. doesn't mean he was doping back then, but.
1: And also, but even like the, everyone in New Zealand knew who was doping just because they got really good. How are you going to know they're doping, right? Some of that could be just jealousy. But there is sort of, I say that, then yet at the same time, I don't know what do you want to call it. The runner Rumorville? It's crazy accurate sometimes. Or maybe we only remember when it's accurate.
2: I think it's a little bit of both. A lot of times the stuff that starts out in the message board does turn out to be true, but also Weldon, wasn't there a thread a few months ago, big doping bust incoming? Did anything ever come of that?
1: Here it is, John. Here it is. It was this one.
2: Here's the thing. You can start that thread and then anytime it, people get busted all the time in track and field, and you can just say, see, this is it. We knew there was a big one coming. It's like, okay. I mean, yes, there's probably going to be a prominent athlete suspended at some point in the rest of 2023 but that doesn't mean we know who it's going to be
1: another thing i found interesting is when he retired there was this huge thread this is only from a month ago so february 4th he retires and there's a thread on let's run we'll link to all these threads zane robertson retires was it worth it and zane posted on instagram Sometimes I post here, sometimes I don't. The last three years haven't been great for me on and off the track roads. A lot of people, companies involved, and almost making me lose interest in the sport completely. A lot of things going on outside the sport also. People sometimes forget that we're humans before we're athletes. And I just at the time remember thinking like, wait, what's going on? Well, it sounds like there's something else he doesn't want to talk about. Now, it's crazy you would post that if you're about to get busted for drugs. Did he think, like, people were going to buy his excuse? But sort of back to the inkblot test in this thread. Because a lot of people are saying, well, he didn't win any medals. You know, he ran fast times. But, like, he spent 10 years of his life. And other people are like, wait, he lived the dream, man. Why wouldn't you want to do that? somebody posted, let's not kid ourselves. Most of his competitors were doping. So that person, you know, was certain the competitors were doping, but Zane was clean. Well, karma's a bitch, as El Caniano says.
2: Yeah, I mean, if he was clean, I would have said, hey, he totally went for it. He tried to pursue his passion to the highest level, and it was great, but now this just taints everything, and I don't think you can say that anymore, because Everyone is going to look at his career differently now, as they should.
3: Do we know if he has any kids? I don't know. Because I always say money's not important until you need it. When you have kids, you need it.
2: All right. Moving on to the other big event from the last week. That would be the New York City Half Marathon on Sunday. I'd say the the winners, I guess the winner, I mean, on the women's side, Helen O'Berry and Simberi Teferi, I think, was, was, we thought it would be a fairly even matchup. They go 1-2, Abiri 67-21, Teferi 67-55. On the men's side, Jacob Gipolimo. I didn't watch the race, guys, but from what I understand, he looked magnificent. Wins it in 61-31, ahead of Joshua Cheptegei, 62-09. Uganda 1-2 in that race. Not good conditions for running. It was windy, it was kind of chilly, course it's a bit hilly, so add a couple, maybe subtract a couple minutes from those times, pretty realistic. I mean, Jacob Kiblimo is the world record holder at 5731 and he ran 10131 in this race. So, and we know he's in good form because he just run, won the World Cross Country Championships. So, I don't know if 4 minutes is too generous, but certainly I would say 2 or 3 minutes uh, slow compared to what you get at a very fast, perfect conditions. Robert, you have a disgusted look on your face. Is there a point you'd like to make?
3: Well, I I can't blame you because you didn't watch the race, but neither did I, but I just did a little research, but you were on vacation. But the minutes thing that you're saying is absurd. They went out slow. Uh, He ran ran his first 5K over 15 minutes and his last 5K in 13.50-something. So...
2: Why do you think they went out slow, Robert? Do you think it was because it was windy and cold?
3: Well, yeah, but Helen O'Berry ran a course record. So 15-14, 14-58, 14-24, 13-52. I mean, he basically just put 30 seconds on on Chapter Guy in the last 5K, a little bit more. So 419, 12th mile. The guy's insane. And when I went back and was watching the YouTube clips and stuff and was reading the message board thread, people were just like – He's so smooth. He looks like he's jogging. And I was never, even when I was coaching, like an expert on form or paid much attention to form. I felt like kind of like Michael Johnson back in the day, the sprinter. People thought his form was terrible. And then he set the world record. And then I like, go, oh, maybe it's more efficient form. And Paula Radcliffe, she has terrible form and bobbing that damn head. And she's running 215, 25. But when this was over for me, I was like, wow. Like, imagine, I mean, if he's actually made for the marathon. This guy basically can't lose on the roads. And, you know, I, I was just like, it hit me. Like, is it blasphemy to say, could he be better than Kipchoge in the marathon? Could he run Yes, faster? it's
2: blasphemy. It, it, Elliot Kipchoge has done something that is so much, it, it, there is no comparison to what he's done in the marathon. He never loses. Before he came along, people would stay at the top for one or two years in the marathon. Elliot Kipchoge, when he won the Olympic Marathon in Rio in 2016, before he had a world record, we wrote an article saying he's the best ever. This was in 2016. Then in 2022, six years later, he sets his second world record. He runs 201.09. What he has done... He he ran 159 for 26.2 miles. To say, could he come along and have a better career than Elliot Kipchoge, I just think that's disrespectful. As great as jacob capolimo is yeah i think that's unfair ellie kipchoge is so much better if you split his career in two he will be the number one and number two greatest marathoners of all time so i think i do think it's blasphemy
1: well those of you listening at home which is everybody unless we put a clip on the internet john had such a look of disgust on his face when rojo said that but john i guess maybe okay, fine. It's probably almost impossible to have a marathon career like Kipchoge's. But could he end up being faster at the marathon than
2: Kipchoge? I agree. That's possible. I could see that coming. But I don't see him being basically unbeatable in the marathon for 10 years, which is what we've seen Kipchoge. I don't see him being so much better than his peers that Nike has to start creating one-off exhibition races to give him a challenge in the event. I, I don't think that's how good he's going to be.
3: That's not why Nike did it. They they did it to to get publicity, and make money, and sell their damn shoe, John. But uh, what about when Nike the...
2: didn't do it? What about when Ineos did it, Robert?
3: Because they wanted to see the sub two break. I pro- <laughs> yeah, because Is it...
2: Jim Chogi was so much better than everyone else. There was no point. He already had the world record. He had no more worlds left to conquer. So he went. For he does. Two. He's got
3: plenty of worlds left to conquer. He's, he, he. How about running a damn race that's got hills in it?
2: Been well, I think running we're less than
3: one month
1: away, John. When's the near Boston Marathon? April 17th. Well, we're less than one month away. Someone plan the Let's Run party. Book a venue for us. Maybe the Let's Run credit card way out. Someone in Boston, get something going for us. We're not good with logistics. Someone in the military in Bo- who used to be in the someone military. Someone in Boston. Should put John- just,
2: uh, plan a party wait, for someone- us in Boston. <laughs> you have to have been in the military in order to plan this party? No. I mean, this isn't, doesn't seem too hard beyond our capabilities but yeah if someone wants to get something organized the let's run crew will show up to it
3: so military or
2: wedding planners
1: that's all i want applying for this job if you think you're qualified otherwise i don't know what else it could be feel free to try it can be i now john has anyone ever had like a watching party during the race in boston it could be maybe during the race party. i'm
2: sure people have, i'm sure people have done this before
1: or, you know, like Saturday night, maybe, maybe Sunday night. I'm not sure. Somebody get on it. Thank you.
3: Yeah, it's more fun to drink during the marathon than actually cover it. That's why I, I did New York one year. When I was coaching at Cornell. All I wrote in the week that was, is it possible that complete? Lehman wins being better than LA Kipchoge at the marathon? And better, I mean, in an absolute sense, faster. Could he break the world record? I think he can. I just asked the great John Kellogg, who's on the other side of the office, hey, convert the half marathon world record to the marathon. And he said 201.17. Well, last time I checked, that's within shouting distance of 201.09. So the similarities are there. Both men won World Junior Cross Country titles. Both went to the track and run incredibly fast. Never won Olympic gold. Once they moved to the roads, they were virtually unbeatable. Seriously, you'd better run a world record if you want to beat them. Of Kipchoge's first 12 marathons, he only lost one, and it took a world record to beat him. Of Kipchoge's first seven half marathons, he's only lost one, and it took a world record to beat him. Now, the difference, John. John's mad because like the greatness of Kipchoge is not only how great he is, but how he lives this goddamn monastic lifestyle. So I- I'm not sure if Caprimo is going to do that or not for 10 years. But I- I'm just talking about in terms of absolute greatness. We think Kipchoge is so far out there. He's not. We've seen Bekele get very close to his times. I think that we'll see Jacob Kaplimo get near those times, if not break them in the future.
2: Yeah, That is, that is feasible yeah. because I wrote when he broke the world record for the first time in 2018 I thought, oh, this record's never going to be broken or f- it won't be broken or challenged for a decade. And I think I underrated the effects of Super Shoes. Though, granted, he's still the only guy who's ever run 201.39 or faster. No one else has done that. But yeah, could Kip Limo do it? Could a 57... Th- at that time, people weren't running 57 minutes in the half marathon. Could a 57.31 guy run sub 201 in the marathon if he's built for it? Potentially. But I think we have to appreciate just what else he's accomplished in the marathon overall.
3: But the question I have is like, what does this mean for the track? Like how did this guy's own Kipchoge twice? I mean, chapter guy twice this year. I know at the end of the year, no one's going to care really what type of shape you're in in February, or March, despite the world cross country title coming his way. But it's like, it's, he's younger, most significantly younger than chapter guy. Like how he doesn't, he doesn't lose to him on the roads, but he doesn't beat him on track. He's never beaten him in the track. So I'm thinking about worlds. Like guy I mean, Kiplimo is still officially only 22. And I wrote this. Like, does if he starts winning on the track, could he start doing it? Like, if he won the Olympics next year and then stayed on the track for another four years, he would still be younger than Mo Farah was when Mo Farah won his first world title on the track. So, do you think that this is going to translate to the track, or do you think this guy is really? I don't know. You can't just say 10K and on up because he's run 7.26 for 3,000, beating Jakob Ingebrigtsen in that race.
1: Yes. Who's your favorite for the World Championship 10,000 meters this year? Joshua Cheptegei
2: or Jacob Kiplimo? Cheptegei? Cheptegei has won three gold medals on the track. Kiplimo's run zero. I mean, we could have this same conversation about Kiplimo in the fall of 2020. He runs... He wins the World Half Marathon title against a bunch of studs. And we should think, oh, is this the age of Kip Limo? Is he going to come out and do something on the track? He got the bronze, the Olympics. He's a great track runner. But Cheptegei, it's very clear, Cheptegei is a better track runner than Jacob Kip Limo to this point in their career. So yeah, I'm still going with Cheptegei because I don't view what Kip Limo has done in winning World Cross and winning New York City Half is much more impressive than setting a half marathon world record or winning the world half. Ho- sorry, winning the world half.
3: I'm going with caplimo I think in the past it's kind of like a big brother syndrome. Like he was a lot younger when when you're when you're 14 and someone else is 18, you're not touching them. But now that they're 22 and 26, I think Capilino is going to think I own this guy. He's not my quality. I'm beating him. By the way. Joshua guy how old was he when he won his first world title on the track in 2019? He was 22 of years of age. That's the age Jacob Capito is now. I'm just, I- I'm always looking for greatness in the GOAT. And I almost made a shirt up with Cheptegei, a guy designed it. It had the U- Ugandan flag colors on it. It was really cool. But <clears throat> I don't like making shirts unless I think it's going to be permanent, like 159.40, because then you get stuck with this leftover inventory. I don't print on demand. That's too low quality for me.
2: Well, well done. I think we can agree one thing. This result was bad news for Grant Fisher, right? Oh, there we go. That's what we
1: needed. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, back to guy versus Kip Limo, Or the age thing. It's officially only 22. Now, John's saying there's no way he can cha- surpass Kipchoge. John, if he's still running marathons in 2039, which would be the equivalent, that's what Kipchoge is doing now. 2039, he'll be th- Kipchoge's age. I mean, that's nuts. Like, how long Kipchoge's been around, and just as you said, the consistency in the marathon since 2014.
3: All right, let's talk a little bit about their form. I mean, he does seem smooth. I was watching Chepta guy, he doesn't seem as smooth in the road. There seems to be some wasted motion there. There's no up and down and, 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 and in Kaplima's stride then I was looking at Helena O'Berry. I can't even watch her run on YouTube. It's so painful to watch her just struggle with those damn arms. But then I thought, well, like let's look at Paula Radcliffe. Can, can, a, can a biomechanics expert get back to me, or Jonathan Gold i ask you your opinion. I was watching Radcliffe. I, I don't think she bobbles as much, or she bobbles her head a lot, but I think her form is pretty efficient. If you look at her like lower body below her shoulders, it's very smooth. And I'm not sure that's the case with with Helen O'Berry, but I'm not positive. I'm looking for reasons why I think Helen O'Beary is not going to be great at the marathon. And I think that may be one reason. Am I off base here, John? Because I know neither Paula Radcliffe or Helen O'Beary looked. It was both kind of painful to watch, but I think Helen's form is more problematic for the marathon. Or I'm wondering if that's the case.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point because I, I didn't study Paula Radcliffe's form very much. She was before I started covering the sport. But yeah, O'Beary, there's definitely. Her arms come up quite high. There's a lot of busyness in her torso that you don't see with a lot. someone like G'day, who is more of an elegant runner. But I think we've also seen a lot of different athletes with a lot of different forms have found success in every event. Like, there is always going to be exceptions. So I don't know. I'm also... Her debut marathon didn't go very well, but... She has all these other accomplishments under her belt. I'm, I am still think whatever marathon that Helen O'Beary runs this fall, and Weldon, she told Weldon that she will be running a full marathon October or November, I think she's going to do very well as long as she can stay healthy. But I'm not a form expert.
3: So what's she going to do between then? There's some talk that she would hop into a spring marathon.
2: No, okay. she said no spring marathon, no track, most likely. I'm guessing she'll just... She just said she was going to train a lot, but maybe she'll do some more 10K road races. Okay,
1: I'm, gla- I'm glad, John, you said that. You weren't even there. That is what she said to me, right? Correct? You heard it from her mouth. Yes. Because during the broadcast on WABC, Chris Chavez was one of the color commentators, and he said, breaking news... Helen O'Berry may run a spring marathon. And then that was it. And I saw Chris afterwards and he's like, hey, she may run a spring marathon. I'm like, Hey dude, I got to give you a little bit of shit here, man. Like you can't say she may run one and not announce which one. Like, come on. you like, you got to give us a little more information. And then when I was talking to Ritz, I said, Hey, I just talked to Helen. She said, she's not running a spring marathon, but I heard in the broadcast she might. And Ritz said, yeah, she, she may do one. We're, we're going to see. And I was like, well, Boston and London are too soon, I guess. And he kind of gave me an impression that they weren't too soon. So
2: this, okay, so I see what's going to happen here. Essentially, she's, I mean, she's training. Obviously, she's not going to not train between now and the fall. And I think if her training keeps going well, they think, hey, she's ready to rock a marathon. Two weeks out, we might get an announcement. Helen O'Beary has been added to the London or Boston Fields. But if they don't think she's gone, you know, everything hasn't gone exactly perfectly, they just sit it out and keep training until the fall. The
3: patriarchy, disgusting. Men keep telling women what to do. By the way, if we if we're going to uh, compute everybody for who they're associated with, it still does amaze me that everyone in, in the Oregon project has benefited so greatly from being in the Oregon project except for Alberto Salazar who is banned in disgrace from the sport, but Mo Farah has come out on top, Galen Rupp, Kerry Goucher, Dathan Ritzenheim. But let's move back to Galen Rupp. He was in this race. He said he wasn't in great sh- shape coming in, but what did he run?
2: He ran 64.57 for 17th place.
3: Not good. And Weldon said he was limping afterwards. But his quote seemed to me up, up, upbeat. Well, then he said, like, I, I know where I'm in. I, I can train. It sounds like he could train without being in pain. So why is he limping? What do you make of this?
1: For the record, I did not speak to Rupp after, after the race. But without Jonathan Galt there, I attempted to speak to Galen Rupp for maybe the first time in ages. Maybe I did last year at the marathon. I'm not sure. Usually I'm like, John, you go there. There's Alberto used to make me feel like a terrible person for wanting to ask them about the gray area who knows what I used to focus on. But immediately after the race, I think maybe even before he came to the mix zone, Galen told race results weekly, obviously it's disappointing. The cold air is never great for me. I really just had to strip everything back the last couple of years. It's been like four years since I've run normally. It's going to take some time. I know where I'm at now. I have to start somewhere. I feel like I can actually train, be healthy and walk normal for tomorrow. Now, he says that, yet then I see him in the mix, the little athlete area where people pick up their bags and go out, and you can interview athletes. And I was like, oh, there's Galen. And to me, he looked very tight, very cold, and I thought he was limping, walking very gingerly. And I went up to him as he was exiting the area and said, oh, Galen, can you t- talk? And he said no, as he was sort of exiting. And we had a possible let's run – .com intern there, Alex. Because I mentioned it, been True, I saw Galen Rupp limping. I was like, how would you refer to Galen Rupp? And he's like, I would, thought he was cold, tight, and limping. So it was a very cold day. Galen doesn't like the cold because of his asthma. He didn't look great to me after the race, but I guess if he runs 104, that's a pretty poor performance for him. So maybe that's not surprising.
2: Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of all of this, Weldon, because he says in this interview that, you know, he thinks he can actually start training healthily, but I think that's been that's been his hope the last few years, and it hasn't come together. Like his last couple of marathon builds have not he hasn't been able to do everything he wants. He's had some pain in them or he's had to scale back sessions. And I think we keep going forward. Like he's like, all right, if I can just get some healthy training from now, you know, I think I've reached a good point. At this point now, and that never seems to happen. He'll show up to his next race and he still won't be where he wants to be. His body isn't doing the things he wants it to do, and he'll try to move forward from that point. And at some point, you're just going to say, Okay, it's kind of this guy has lost it. I don't know if we're at this point, that point yet, because he ran 206 in the fall of 2021 and he ran 209. Last year at Worlds, all right, for Galen Rupp, 209 is not great. But he also stopped multiple times during that race, and he didn't have an ideal build-up. So you're saying, wow, if he can run those times off of build-ups that aren't ideal or he's not doing everything he wants to do, then yeah, maybe he can get back to that 206 level. I don't think that's unrealistic, but he needs a stretch of good, healthy training, which he hasn't had for, for some time, certainly since before the Olympics.
1: Yeah, he didn't look great to me, but I'm still not writing him off. He said, hey, we're going to have a race in the fall, a marathon. All the Americans show up who you got to pick. I have to pick Galen Rupp. So I guess that means he's my favorite for the U.S. Olympic trials still. Almost by default, we we, we don't have the consistency behind him or the level behind him. I guess, you know, Connor Mance is coming up. Maybe there's some possibilities, but... I'm not picking any single individual over him. He may no longer be, you know, greater than 50 percent to win. Whereas in the past, I would have said, like, uh, you give me one to one odds. I'm betting heavily that Galen beats all the Americans.
3: And I added a poll to the week that was recap: Will Galen Rupp make the 2024 U.S. Olympic marathon team? Any ideas on what percent of people agree with me and says he will make it? I'll say 50% agree. 77% say yes, 23% no. And what's interesting is I have a similar poll for Molly, 38-year-old Molly Huddle. She ran New York. She was 7th in 72-27, which placed her as the third American Des London Supporters Club member 72-21. Anyways, Molly did not make the last Olympic team, but can she make it in 2024? That may seem unlikely, but remember Abdi Abdurrahman did do that. He didn't make a team, that he made a team.
2: Yeah, but Abdi had already made a marathon team before.
3: Fair enough. Anyways, the the numbers are reversed from rap even more so. Only 12% say she will make the team. 88% say no. And I put this in there saying, you know, one thing that hurts her is I, she's not really made for the marathon. I think she'd admit that. She doesn't like – she likes doing track workouts not tempos. And actually, Rupp used to say that early in his own career, but then Rupp ended up being pretty good at it. But, you know, Ray Tracy was saying Emily Simpson was made for the marathon. He's never said that about Molly Huddle. And I, she's not a big super shoe responder. I mean, she, they had a, I think it was a Runner's World article. They had tests on her, done, and she wasn't a big responder. Speaking of which, I'm just going to bring it out now because I wrote it down in my, on my, on my show notes. And I, I didn't want to forget. I had a fascinating conversation this week with a top college coach. And they were under the theory that, he's like, look, Caitlin Tooley's amazing. She would be an NCAA champion in, in any era, he thought. But he also thought, I think that she's a super responder to the shoes. I think that makes her a little bit extra good. And it was based on two things. One, her foot strike, mainly that. But also, she's got a little bit bigger build than most distance runners. So like, the shoes benefit men a little bit more than women, cause I think, because we're heavier. So a little bit more spring for your pop there.
2: Because you're putting more force into the ground, so you get more back. That's the thinking.
3: That was the thinking.
2: It's certainly possible. Oh,
3: and I guess I should say it now. I forgot. Well, let me ask you guys. Do you guys think Caitlin Tooley will go pro?
2: Yes. By the end of 2023, I think she'll be a professional, whether it's off to cross-country or off to the track season.
3: No, after track, yes or Off to this
2: track season, yes.
3: Well, then. You have to say
1: no now, because I think that's where you're going.
3: She will not. She'll be competing in cross-country. That's all I'm going to say. Don't want to reveal my sources.
2: Well, I'd like to see that, because... I've said on this podcast multiple times, I think that would be a fun way to go out. You do the track season. You're still getting some NIL money. You have one loss blowout. You try for the 3 P for NC State. And cross country's the most fun of all the three seasons. That's your last time to be with your teammates. And then it's all about getting to the Olympics in 2024.
1: Speaking of super shoes, I talked to Chris Thompson, the British Olympian. He's now 41 years old. You know, won the British Olympic trials last marathon trials for 2020. Didn't get to go to worlds last year because Britain effed up his visa. And I was like, what happened? He's like, they just screwed up. He like, there was no holds, but nothing held back. And then he led the first 10 K of this race. And he's like, look, I really wasn't going out that fast. Everyone else is just going slow, maybe a little fast for me. And he's running London And I said, you know, what's the goal? And he's like, well, 210 is the minimum standard if you want to be relevant these days. He's 41 years old. He's like, if you're not running under 210, you're nothing.
2: Well, relevant is Like What? Well, he runs 210 in London. He's going to get beat by six or seven minutes. Like, I guess, what's the definition of relevant? I'd say there, there are 209 marathoners who are somewhat irrelevant in the... Well, like if you're a 209 Kenyan, you're absolutely nothing.
1: Okay, so John's now on board with me. All the American marathoners suck. Just say it, John. Say it out loud.
2: Well, I'm just saying... Finally! There are 209 Mar- two Americans that I don't think you guys have heard of.
1: Well, he's just saying that's the minimum. And I agree. We're acting like, oh, these 211 guys, oh, they're doing so good. I got clips. I can play clips here. I was going to... Ask you guys. Then we started talking about super shoes. So, well, how much a difference do you think it makes? Anyone got a guess?
2: Well, you told us, so I. I'm, I'm not sure. I told see, Robert. I'm not going to play <laughs> your game. Sorry.
3: This is where we act surprised, John. We make up some number to make the show look good.
2: Oh, I what did he say? He like could have four said minutes? four minutes, something <laughs> like that.
1: How
3: much energy do yeah. you think
1: the shoes make? number? Yeah. On average, four minutes? Four minutes. So wow, you guys are so good, so good,
3: so good. Now, I don't think that the statistical analysis backs that up. All the pros aren't running. The top pros are not running four minutes faster than they were. Maybe the mid-pack. I think for
1: someone like Kipchoge, it might be like two and a half minutes
3: Don't say that to John. He gets mad when I point out before Kipchoge got the new shoes, his PR was 20400.
2: Which he ran with his insoles flapping out of his shoes.
3: Which he ran with a fake prototype of the super shoe with insoles flapping out. All right. We haven't talked about a guy from John's school. Guy that used to torment me when I was coaching. 37-year-old Ben True. He was the top American in this race. He was two minutes ahead of Galen Rupp. He ran 6257 out kicking. King Chaz, 6258. Andy Butchart, 6258. Nico Montagna, 63 minutes. Reed Fisher, by the way, cool story. We got his YouTube video up. His wife has stage four cancer. He's still competing. He was 6302. But <clears throat> this is a good result for, for true. He hasn't been racing a lot. He missed his one marathon last year. He was in good shape last spring. I can't tell you why he didn't run USA's because John will get mad. But do you think that anyone in 2024 will make the Olympic team that hasn't made the Olympic team? Like, I mean, an old timer. Like, how cool would it be if Ben True, he's 37 now, so he'll be, what, 38? What if 38 year old Ben True makes it? Or how old is
2: Sarah Hall? She turns 40 next month.
3: Like, do any of these people who've never, you know, you try, 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 try again? Like, okay, if you couldn't make it in your prime, why are you going to make it now?
2: Sarah Sarah Hall's in her prime. Like, Sarah Hall wasn't as good as she is now. Like, at the 2020, even 2020, she wasn't as good as she has been the last few years after that. It wasn't until the fall of 2020 in London, where she gets second, and then suddenly everyone's freaking out, and then she starts running a lot faster. Sarah Hall's just better. And then Ben True, I mean, he came very close. Like, could Ben True make the Olympic team next year? Yes. Is he... He's in the conversation. I don't think he's done anything yet to say he should be one of the favorites, certainly. I thought his first marathon went pretty well in New York in 2021. He was seventh. I think he was a little conservative in that one, because it was around And this was certainly an encouraging result, running 62-57 on you know, pretty t- he's a pretty slower start, not great conditions. I know he was a little bit more conservative than the top guys, but I was encouraged. And now I'm excited to see what he does in Boston. I think it would be a great story if he made that team. I don't know if anything's different in that he was just going up against some good guys. He came very close to making the team in 2020 and 2016, and he just came up against guys who are a little bit better than him. And the marathon, if you're good enough to be in that ballpark and you just hit it out of the park, if you have a great day at the marathon trials, that could be enough to get you on the team. If you have a bad, you know. So, yeah, I think it would be a cool story. It's certainly something to follow, and this was a good result for him. Speaking of that, another quote-unquote old-timer who has made Olympic teams in the past, Des Linden ran 112.21 for fifth place she hasn't had the marathon results she's wanted to in the last few years but as you said on the friday 15 well then she keeps saying at these races she just wants one more good race and she thinks she has a she still thinks she has a, sh- a chance to run another good marathon otherwise she wouldn't keep showing up last year for this race she showed up she was 23rd in 73 49 so she's run faster even though it wasn't a super well i guess the course record was broken but She's been 16th and 13th in her last two Boston marathons, but she's running again next month. I felt very optimistic. I feel pretty good about her chances to have a good race in Boston now because this is the sort of race we haven't seen from her in some time.
1: Yeah, this was much better for her. I mean, it's like a relative ranking system, right? But I didn't expect her to be the first American. She Granted, she's five minutes behind the leaders in this race. Exactly five minutes. So, but... Relative to what she's been doing, there's a relative ranking system. I thought it was a good run for her. Maybe maybe everyone else didn't really run that well. Maybe the field wasn't that deep, but she, she still beat everybody else.
3: While we wrap out this New York City talk, is it wrong for me to point out, like again, the longer all these NLP athletes got away from being coached by Alberto and probably being massaged by Alberto, the slower they got. Whether it was Ritz, Galen Rupp, Mo Farah, I know they're all getting older, but once Ritz moved away from the Oregon Project, he never broke to 11. When that 2015 when he ran Boston after moving to Michigan, he was only 33. Farah was getting up there because he started old when he was with Salazar Rupp, too. Hard to separate the two.
1: But what's your point? Once athletes got older, they didn't run faster. I mean,
3: I, just go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. You seem to be implying it. Next time you're there, I want you to ask Dathan Ritzenheim if he was ever been massaged by Alberto Salazar. I want one of you two to vow to do it, or should I do it? I'll just ask him. Right? It's not a bad question. It's perfectly, particularly in the light of the your allegations, is perfectly legitimate question. You guys are just staring at me like I'm some like I'm some crazy dude. But I don't know. We talk about the scourge of doping. And yet it's just it kind of drives me nuts that at the same time, I'm supposed to just elevate and praise everybody else that was in the group. So either someone got a raw deal here. Well, Salazar. Well, haven't
2: you talked many times Salazar, how it was very strange Salazar was suspended, but he never was guilty of doping his athletes. It was for these other violations. So which side do you want? Do you think he doped them and they all got away with it and they didn't get him for that or that he actually didn't dope any of them and you don't think he should have been suspended at all? Even though he did break anti-doping rules.
3: The, look, I don't want to defend a sexual predator or an alleged sexual predator, but from the anti-doping thing, I don't like the way that suspension went down, no.
1: So Robert just wants to be a contrarian and take the contrarian angle on everything.
3: Uh, it's it's, just it's a- not the contrarian angle on everything. It's just like, I, I feel like it is. It is, right, John? We could have, we'll have, we we'll create
1: a Rojo bot. Whatever comes out, the popular view, take the opposite side of it. Well,
2: Robert, gonna, if, if you want to ask Dathan Ritzenhain about what he saw with regards to doping during his time in the Nike Oregon project, which he has been asked in the past, when this whole thing broke eight years ago, but if you want to ask him that, you're in a position to do so, feel free.
3: I mean, I I feel like Ritz, at least on the carnitine, didn't want to do that. They pressured him to do that. He thought it was legal. It wasn't legal. I think he got too much inc- carnitine in that thing. They never charged him with that, but that's fine. I don't know why I'm going on Ritz. I think, like, I don't know. I think he's good for the sports. I like the on group, but it's just I, at some level, it's just like, okay, when they test positive, you're vilified you're just cast out of the sport and you're the evil of evil. You're the scum of scum. We should never talk to Shelby Houlihan again. Blah blah blah. But if you get off, it's everything is kosher. Everything is good. You must be praised to the hilt. And it's just, uh, I don't know. Like it's amazing we have any fans left after 23 years of covering this sport.
2: Well, the problem when stuff like this happens is it might be a mix. There might have been athletes not to relitigate something that we spent thousands of words talking about in the mid 2010s, but there is there was a doubt among Oregon Project athletes is because they were investigating them. You didn't know who had done what. There might have been some athletes that were 100% clean. There might have been all of the athletes might have been 100% clean. Or they might have been doing some gray area stuff. Or there might have been people who were flat out doping. We didn't know at the time. We still don't know. And in general, in our sport, people, at least in terms of the people signing the checks and handing out you know contracts and that sort of thing, they tend to err on the side, I think, of innocent until proven guilty.
3: Is it has to be? My biggest regret on this is I wish I called up Mary Kane's parents when she was considering joining the group, because the agents aren't going to do it. The agents are going to get paid. Like I don't think you should send your high school daughter to a professional group. I just think it's it's not right. I think I don't want to get too on top of the agent for that, but uh, you know. But I've heard so many rumors in this group in the past. By the way, if you're the person that was babysitting one of the NLP, uh, house sitting one of the NLP. Uh, houses while one of the athletes went on vacation and the dog knocked over the trash and there were tons of syringes. Please call me because I remember hearing this rumor too and I we never followed up on it. Robert at let's run.com. Robert at let's run.com. It wasn't one of the most prominent athletes. It was a 1500 meter female. You were house sitting in their house. Please give me a call. Thank you. Unbelievable, John.
1: I didn't read the Kara book, but Kara in the book says look. Maybe Alberto, when he gave a massage, rubbed some cream in me. I think she alludes to that possibility, apart from a sexual assault. So stuff could go on. People wouldn't know it. But Robert said, it's amazing we have fans. A couple other things to wrap up from this New York City half. The other thing Chris Thompson pointed out, he's like, well, UK athletics, you know, even though I hit the standard, they probably won't send me to Worlds. Essentially is what he's saying. He's like, look, they're broke. They're out of money. They have debt. That's why they're not sending people to worlds. And it made me think, wait, we had a London Olympics in 2012. Wasn't there supposed to be this great legacy? And now, like, barely 10 years later, they're broken out of money? America, everyone in America is like, oh, track's going to, the LA Olympics is going to save track in America. Look Who's what happened in that? Britain. Oh,
2: come on, well, that's a pipe dream. Who's Everyone's that?
1: believing it, John. That's what everyone in track and field talking about. World athletics, let's make America the focal point. Well, we yes. just did it in
3: Britain. They're out of money. They're broke. It's a brilliant point by Weldon. Weldon brought it up to me this weekend. It's absolutely brilliant. It's like, oh, the Olympics. Oh, world's in the U.S. It's not going to make a dent of a difference. The disgraceful thing is with London is you're spending so many thousands and billions on the stadiums. You should just, you know, like they do in African countries, just, you know, th- oh, I shouldn't say African. That's racist. Third world countries. Or hell, they do it in America, too. These big construction projects, you just funnel. Hey, they're bribing everybody in Japan. You just funnel off like twenty million. They should have funneled off like twenty million. Now in America, that wouldn't last very long. That would only be three years of Max Siegel's salary. But in Britain, that could have that could have voted the bill for UK Athletics for a number of years. Chris Thompson, I will personally pay for you to go to Worlds. If that's the issue to get a damn flight from London to Hungary, give me a break. Yeah.
1: We're already encouraging people to go to Worlds because it's so cheap this year. But now he was saying, oh, maybe we did have like a golden era. Like we've had really good athletes, the narasher smith, Keeley Hoskinson's. You know, maybe they were inspired by London. They had a world stare, but essentially it's over. You know, it might have been an uptick in some performances. Like some of the maybe Keeley was inspired by the Olympics, but it's something to think about.
2: Now, well, when you were in New York, you also spoke with Dathan Ritzenhain about Yari Nagoose, who has had quite a 2023 season already. Can you share some of your highlights from that talk?
1: Yes. Before we play the Ritz and Yeran audio, can we get an acknowledgement from Rojo that the OAC, Dathan Ritz and Hein, the group of the indoor season?
3: Without a doubt. Okay,
1: wow. The little contrarian head was trying to spin and find something, John, to prove me wrong. But there it is, without a doubt. The AO, it's official. The indoor season is wrapped up. The On Athletics Club. What's the award, John? We need to start coming up with awards, names. They're the... Well... Oh, there we go.
3: They boycotted World Cross. Let's remember that. And they didn't break 27.
2: That's outdoor season. (laughs) Those are outdoor. That's an indoor track. Is Alicia right. Monson sl- taking 10 seconds off Molly H- Huddle's nas- national record in the 10,000. Does that not – can she give some of those seconds to Joe Klecker to make sure that he gets under 27 and that kind of offsets it?
3: The sport is better off if we don't have people running goddamn time trials, if we have everybody going to Worlds and making that one of the coolest events in the in, in, in the game. Everybody I- goes. We go. It's just an event. It's a thing for all the nerdy runners to go to. You, you meet your wife there. You get on Hinge etc. Like it, it should be the social event of the year. It should be annual. It should not be biannual.
2: So your pitch is World Cross should happen. Everyone needs to go to World Cross so Jonathan Galt can find a partner? That's correct. Is that what you're saying? That's okay. correct. No, ridiculous. And But no, here's the thing. The problem is it's the structure of the sport as well, Robert. I've listened to part the coffee club had a pretty good episode a couple of weeks ago. They had Joe Klecker on and they talked about how he? Do you think he's thrilled to just say, "Okay, I have to get everything around, just running this one race to hit a time standard to prove I'm good enough to run at the Olympics"? He wasn't pumped about that. <laughs> like they know that the structure of the sport could be improved, and he, I think, he wanted to run well across. The problem is he also wants to be at the Olympics. What's the best way for him to run at the Olympics? Is to try to run under 27 minutes. I wish he had run well across too. That's more exciting to me than them just take ch- trying to run this fast 10 K in the middle of the night in California. But he also knows he's being paid to go to the biggest stage, which is the Olympics. Well, it's one of the reasons they give him a contract is to get them at the world championships and the Olympics, the two biggest events in our sport. So I do have some sympathy. I wish they were at world cross too, but I also (laughs) kind of understand they have to do these things. They have to check these boxes to make sure that they're at the Olympics.
3: And now they gotta do it again because they didn't get the standard.
2: Well, True. he does. Alicia Monson doesn't.
3: Can Molly Huddle go for 30 40? Do you think she could do that, John?
2: Probably not. And even if she did, I don't think she's going to make the team.
1: My genius strategy to drip release this audio. is really paying off. In the same clip where Ritz talks about Nagus, he also talked about the 10K qualifying. I think he would in a perfect world, they would much rather go to World Cross Country. But they're trying to qualify for the Olympics. And the young intern Alex asked him, is there a beef with Kincaid and Klecker? Ritz talks about that. But then also he pointed out, look, this year some people who might be choosing between the 5 and the 10 may actually choose to run the 10 at Worlds just so they can get the points for the Olympic qualifying. Like the, like the Olympics is so big, you may give up the event you really want to run this year because if you get a, if you run well at the Worlds, you probably get the points to qualify for the Olympics. It's just, it's such a sort of catch-22 situation. But before we got sidetracked, we're trying to talk about Dathan Ritzenhain and Yared Ngoose. And I was like, Dathan, you're the coach of the number one miler in the world, right? And he clarified. Three minutes plus with Dathan Ritzenhain on Yared and how he knew. This kid was something special. I forgot you're also coach of the number one miler in the world. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Number one indoor miler in the world. Okay.
4: Number one indoor miler in the world. Are guess. you shocked what
1: you already did this winter?
4: I would have been shocked about six months ago, but um, I guess even last year you started to see it. And as he started putting things together throughout the end of summer, and just consistency. And he ended the season in Padua at 3.33. And in that race, a lot of people probably didn't see it. He ran like 29 seconds the first 200. And it was like, almost fell like four times. He was shot out the baggers, 30 people on the line. And I was like, okay, he like won this by like three seconds. Over really good guys. You could see it right at the end of the year. And then as training started throughout the fall, though, Like he never pushes too hard, he just does it. But then as soon as we started hitting the track after like January first, you could see it. He was like, he was really ready. I mean, Ali is number five, a number five guy in the world, and you know, like, and he knew everybody knew like Yard was ready to take off, and so it's elevated the game for everybody, honestly. Like, like Ali now is like okay, there's a new player, you know, like, I gotta yeah, get, is it a, you know, like... It could be problematic for Ollie though, like... No, nah, it's gonna make, it, it, it's, it's gonna be the best thing for his career. Having Mario, who is fourth at the World Champs, and Yarin and, and Oli has more experience than all of them, you know, like, and... But it's elevated his game because you run with those people every day now, and you see how good they are, and you're no longer thinking just about, you know, Jakob and Jake Whiteman and you see Kerr, it every day. Yeah, you see it every day. But he's
1: I've saying, heard, like, there's probably some Ingebrigtsen stories, and, you know, Henrik or somebody saw his little brother, and he's like, he's sort of defeating at some point. He's like, wait, this guy's better than me. But you can yeah. figure out a way to beat people who can Ollie's, beat you in practice, Always right? run 347,
4: and yeah. he's better now than he was then. It's just, like, he, and so I think at the end of the day, you have to elevate your game to what's around you. And so like whether you're competing in, even like if you're competing in the NCAA or you're competing at the pro level, like the next level you go up is better and it's more, the more you see it. And that's why I believe in racing a lot. They go and they race these diamond league races because that's the level you have to compete at. And it's not okay to just compete at this lower level and then step out and think all of a sudden, everybody who's been who's better, who I haven't seen is just gonna be beatable. You have to, you have to go out and you have to do it beforehand and the more you race those people the more you're capable the more you experience is just something you can't buy and so it doesn't matter if it's diamond league diamond league final the more you do it the better you'll be the more prepared you'll be
3: okay i love the clip ritz is now forgiven he likes the guys to race a lot it's not his fault that the 10,000 format sucks and i just can't wait to outdoors like, I, I'm obsessed with Jakob. I was actually remembering when I was watching that clip. I was obsessed with Ritz. I drove up to watch him run the Pin Relays High School 5,000. So that brought back my love affair. But I'm kind of obsessed with Jakob, And then I to have an American that might take him on. And then what are Hawker and Tier going to do? Oh, I can't wait for outdoors. Have you guys seen
1: this Padua race? No, I have not.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so.
1: He destroys them. And I found it. and was sort of fast-forwarding. And then at the end, I'm like, wait, is that guy way back there? Is that Cole Hawker? Cole Hawker, second place. It ended up being Yerda three thirty 333.26. After like getting stuck in traffic, almost falling down, as he said. Really slow for 300 meters. And he finishes almost two seconds up on Cole Hawker, who was 335. Put a link to that in the show notes as well. Oh, and the other thing from Ritz and all this stuff. Helena Burry, she's now a full-time U.S. resident for the first time ever. She came over in the fall or last summer. They thought her family would be right behind her. Husband Tom, daughter Tanya. But their visas didn't get approved. So she went back to Kenya. Ritz has been coaching her 100% remotely. And it's pretty interesting where they're like Ricky Sims, her old coach is an agent essentially told her like there's one day a week. She likes to run 20 K with the people in Kenya. That's what they do there. He still lets her do that next day. He still throws a workout at her. Like he adapts to what's presented before him, but now they're in Boulder full-time living in an Airbnb, trying to figure it out. Where are they going to go to school? I mean, there's all these sort of real world stuff. Where do you want your kid to go to school? That sort of stuff. But Alicia Monson's now going to have a new training partner a lot of the time, it seems like. So I think this could be a new development for her, push her to new heights.
2: It could, but I've also seen her say that just having Josette Andrews and Robbie Andrews in training has also helped her because before she would just be able to have Sage her to her to push her on the speed stuff. That has already allowed her to push a little harder in the distance sessions so maybe not have someone ahead of her just to key off of. So she's already made that jump, I think, from getting a distance training partner, but I don't think it would hurt her having Helena Berry added to the mix because obviously she's an even better runner than Josette Andrews.
1: Could hurt her though, I guess, John, right? Could train too hard. This is it the end of her career, overtraining.
2: All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to do it for the regular Portion of this podcast, and then we do have an interview just coming up with Ilias Iowani, the new Italian record holder in the marathon. But anything else before we talk to Ilias?
3: I'm just looking forward to it. Never top 100 in sea cross country, 207 in the marathon. All right, it's now time for our "Warrior Dreams Become Reality" segment. this week, we're pleased to be joined by Ilias Ayoani. Ilias ran in the NCAA from 2015 to 2019, first at Lamar University in Texas, and then the last three years at Syracuse, where he was a two-time ACC champion on the track. Though he never finished higher than 128 at the NCAA Cross Country Championships and didn't even make Syracuse's NCAA XC squad as a senior. It's a little bit misleading though, because after that, he did get in really good shape senior year on track, setting an ACC record of 28-25 in the 10,000, and won the ACC in the 5 and the 10,000. As a professional, last year he made his marathon debut in Milan and ran 2:08:34. and now in 2023, at the age of 27, he's even better. He ran a personal best of 61-49 and a half marathon in February, and then on Sunday he ran 207-16 to break the Italian record at the Barcelona Marathon. Ilias, welcome to the Let's Run.com Track podcast, and congratulations on the national record.
0: No, Ron, thank you so much, and thanks for having me here.
3: I thought your, your story was really cool. I mean, I, I've got an affinity for upstate New York college teams because I spent 10 years of my life coaching at Cornell, and I, I got to know the Syracuse coaches. I mean, I was there when they started. I'm like, how are you guys going to get anyone to come to Syracuse? And then, you know, less than 10 years later, they're winning the national championship so uh, i love those guys and and they speak very highly of you but i i just thought it was a cool story because you know you were a good runner but far from a superstar and now you're you know the, the best runner ever in italy the fastest runner ever in italy in terms of the marathon so want to see how, how you got that
0: uh, yeah so um i think my experience at syracuse was great um I, I finished my experience in Syracuse knowing that I was still far from my potential and Brian Bell knew that as well. Uh, cause like I started making the most significant improvements on my last year. Uh, I wasn't, I mean, I, I probably, I probably wasn't doing the right things for me. Cause like I have some features, uh, some features I, I and I probably wasn't, you know, doing the right thing in training and. I also have to add that I had a fracture in 2016, which was my first year in Syracuse, and that has slowed my, my progression sig- significantly. Um, and I started, you know, to make some good progress in 2019. I won a couple ACC titles and from that year forward, my, my curve went, went upwards. So, uh, and I came back to Italy and, you know, I started my, um, my relationship. My, I started, you know, um, he, uh, co- Massimo Magnani started to coach me and uh, he's well known in Italy because, like, he has some great experience as regards marathon training. And he knew from the start that I was a marathon runner. He knew that my, um, uh, my, my way of running was going to, you know, make a good marathon out of me.
3: Yeah. Coach Bell said you did some crazy long runs in Syracuse. I think he said 20 miles at 508 pace. So. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, so I when you that went into this, this most recent race, I mean, w- what was your goal heading into Barcelona?
0: So uh, we knew uh, I I could run, you know, some something around two or seven. And actually, we didn't think that Barcelona course was that tough. I mean, we uh, we thought it was very fast, but actually, you know, it was kind of hilly, kind of challenging, especially at the end, and. I tried to stay with a second pack, you know, there was a uh, a pacer that had the job of pacing us until like through 30K, around like three minutes per K, which is like 450, 448 per mile, something like that. Uh, but I think is that after 30K, I found myself alone. So I had to run my last 10K by myself. And that's not really easy uh, when you run a marathon, and especially when you run the fastest marathon of your life. So we knew we could run something around 207, or seven, but like uh, theoretically we could do it. But of course, uh, doing it in real life it's always uh, hard. So when I crossed the line and I saw uh, that I broke the, the the national record, that was a great feeling, to be honest. So
3: sometimes it can be a little bit tough in the marathon, like you you start to lose, you know, your, your your thought process a little bit. Like, but did, did you know coming down, like, wow, this is going to be close. I mean, you must have known the record. I think it was two hundred seven nineteen. You run two hundred seven sixteen. Was it an all out yeah. sprint from forty k to, to the from forty k to the finish?
0: I mean, I gotta say, I I have been really lucky because, like, I didn't know I was that close to you know missing the the Italian record. And you think about it, like three three seconds in a marathon. It's nothing, but they still make a huge difference. I mean, it's a difference from making the record and not making the record. So if you think about it, like I've been really close to, you know, failing that which was supposed to be my goal. Um I knew that was running fast, but I tried my best during the marathon to not think about the fact that I was going to break the Italian record, because like sometimes when you run fast and when you know that you're about to do something great, you you know, you tend to panic, you tend to, you know, uh, to freak out. I was focused on, you know, trying to stay a- as easy as possible, trying, you know, to run in a comfortable way. And I tried to stay focused to live in the present and live the, you know, live the race. And of course, uh, when there were 2K left, I was like, yes, man, like you gotta, you gotta, and, and the last 3K in the, in the Barcelona marathon, they were all uphill. So it was really tough. It was really hard to close fast. And in the last 2K, I told to myself, man, like, you can't fail. I mean, you got to give it all. You got to leave it all there. You can't live with regrets.
2: And that was also an Olympic standard for you. So where does that put you in terms of qualifying for the Olympics in the marathon? How does Italy pick that team in that event?
0: I mean, I think uh, my ticket to Paris is pretty much all set, basically, especially especially because, like, uh, we have good marathon runners, but I mean, we, uh, the team is made of, I think four or five people. So Three. I'm pretty confident. Three people.
2: Yeah. I think, country.
0: Wow, oh, oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, um, my, uh, uh, I should be safe to be honest. And actually I'm, I'm aiming to lower that time by next year. So, um, I'm not satisfied. I'm, you know, you know, this achievement, um it's it's a, it's a great achievement which has to be celebrated but i'm still i mean uh, i still know that i'm still far from my peak and and i want to reach it
3: so what what is your big dream like what is your number one goal like what what keeps you in the sport
0: i mean nice. of course the uh the biggest dream of an athlete is to wear the, the i mean to take the gold medal at the olympics but uh, i mean everyone dreams of that but like that's Just one person every four year can, you know, make this dream come true. My, my goal is to leave a legacy throughout this sport is to inspire younger athletes that look up to me, is to inspire younger athletes that probably aren't as talented and inspire them and, you know, teach them that through hard work, anything is possible through hard work, through, you know, keep chasing. your dream through rising from you know difficulties through rising from failures anything can be achieved uh, and of course I mean no no one no one cares about your story until you win so uh, I think I need to win to bring my story and to let people know about my story and to let people be inspired from from my story because I think as you said uh, I didn't have the best collegiate career but that doesn't define me as a runner I mean there's still like uh, good, good. I'm. I, I. still. I still know. I. I have great potential.
3: Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning and talk a little bit about how you, you know, came to the states and stuff. You, you grew up. Were you born in in Milan or were you born in Morocco? Where were you born? Your parents are from Morocco. So, Where were you born?
0: Uh, I was actually, yeah, I was actually born from Morocco and I moved to Italy when I was two years old and I grew up in Italy. I, I went to school in Italy. So my first language is Italian. Of course, I speak Italian and Arabic and now English. My English is kind of getting rusty because like yeah, I left the US, you know, two years ago. So I haven't been speaking English a lot, but yeah. Um, so Italy is my, my first home basically.
3: Yeah. So b- before, I guess in high school there in Italy, you ran 351, 805 and, and 1425. And I guess that got you on on the radar of the Lamar coaches. Did did you have other options or, or was Lamar the only option? Like what made you come to the NCA and, and choose Lamar?
0: So basically I was one of the first Italians to join the NCA world. So, and when I joined, when I went to the U.S., I was a bit unaware of the, you know, uh, recruiting dynamics and stuff like that. So there was a, an Italian athlete at Lamar and I just trusted him and I went, I went, I wanted to play it safe and basically join him. Um, and I guess my times weren't that good to allow me, you know, to join some top tire schools. But once, once, you know, I joined Lamar and I, you know, I proved myself my freshman year. I won some Southern Conference titles. And that year Syracuse won the national cross-country championship and I basically was like I just emailed Justin Knight, basically, and I told him, uh, man, can you actually ask your coach if he, he'd be willing to give me a full scholarship? I mean, that was that was so smooth. And I emailed him and I emailed Chris Fox and I told him, Um, I am an Italian runner, I run at Lamar, I ran this time, my PR is this, this, and this. I won this many uh titles. Can you give me a full scholarship? And he was like, "Yes, we need you. We need you for next year." Uh, yeah. So
3: well, that's cool. I guess if if you don't ask, you know, you, you don't get it. So Chris Fox was was smart enough to give you a scholarship. And actually, because originally they were going to do it all only with Americans, but Justin Knight was so close to Syracuse, he gave a scholarship to Canadian. And then he, hey, why not you as well? And your first year, you were running pretty well in the fall. You were the sixth at ACCs. You were the third man, seventh at the regionals. You get to NCAAs, there's a lot of pressure kind of on the team to repeat, and at 8K, you're up there. I mean, I think, you, I think you were the third man, you were 51st place, and yeah. I guess, I'm not sure what happened, but you ended up 128th, and and they ended up not, not yeah. repeating as champion, where if you'd maintained that position, they would have won. So what happened yeah. there over the final 2K, and how tough was that to sort of to handle?
0: I mean, yeah, so one of my biggest NCAA uh, career regrets was to never have... Uh, performed as I should have in the, you know, cross country national championships. And I don't really remember that race. I probably went probably just too hard, uh, in the early stages of the race. And probably we, uh, we had probably too much pressure or, you know, on our shoulder to just repeat what, uh, the program has done the year before. And I mean, yeah, I wish, I wish I could, you know, have a second chance to run and be part. Of a winning cross-country team, but I mean that kind of you know regret has motivated me so much you know to work even harder in the following seasons. So uh, I am a good, a better runner thanks to that as well.
2: Yeah, you mentioned when you were at Syracuse, there are a few things in your first few years maybe that you weren't doing right, and then you changed a few things and you started having success in 2019. Can you be more specific about the changes you you went through that you think helped?
0: Yeah. So I feel like, I mean, uh, everybody is different. We all have different bodies. We all respond different to differently to uh, the same kind of, you know, um, training. So I was the type of athlete that had to work a lot on strength. I had to do a lot of mileage and that was my, you know, um, my only way to improve as a runner. So I think the first year I wasn't doing that a lot. When I started, you know, to you know, introduce this kind of routine into my training in the last year, I could see significant improvements, and I could notice that I was comfortable running for a long time, for a long distance, and that's where I actually understood that I was a good marathoner because, like, uh, you know, long, I was enjoying long runs, I was enjoying hammering five ten pace uh, per mile, and uh, it just, it was just easy for me. Um, so I guess I wasn't, you know, doing enough my running enough miles in the first years, and I was, I wasn't probably recovering enough. And, you know, I, I got a fracture in my tibia, probably I wasn't having enough vitamin D. I mean, you know, the weather in Syracuse is not the greatest. And I was coming, you know, from, from Texas and from Italy, and I was used to a different kind of sun exposure, while Syracuse was just a different uh weather to get used to. And, I struggled, you know, to adapt to that kind of new environment in the first year.
3: Yep, and then so I guess that that year you ran um, seven fifty six and thirteen fifty seven. Got hurt outdoors. <clears throat> um, the next year, not not, not a really great cross country season. Twenty second ACCs, two hundred thirty fourth at NCAAs. You did beat seventeen people though, so <laughs> two hundred thirty three guys can say they yeah, beat yeah, the Itali- yeah. two hundred thirty three guys beat the Italian record in yeah, the yeah. marathon, but Which um. Is-
0: Crazy, yeah.
3: But your your senior year, um, you kind of had another problem at the ACCs in, in cross country. You were, I think, in the top ten or top twenty at, at you know, late in the race, and then kind of Bearcage Hill. I heard you kind of had to walk up it, and, and then finish in the thirties, and and they lost the team title by four points at regionals. You're only a hundred and first, and they don't even take you to NCAAs. I mean, that to me sounds like rock bottom. I mean, you, you're like what what yeah, happened your crazy. senior year in cross country?
0: Yeah. So, uh, in that cross country season, I touched my lowest point. So I wasn't definitely doing the right thing. So after that season, I was like, now I really need to start be more selfish as regards training. Cause you know, in, you know, uh, in college, you just take the whole team and you make them do the same thing. But as I told you, like different athletes need different type of training. There's no. Such thing as one universal training that works for everybody the same way. Uh, I remember I used to, you know, train with Justin Knight. He could be, he could be doing fine with, you know, 60 miles a week. I'm not that type of runner. So I need to do more miles than him. So if you take two different people and you make them do the same thing, they're not going to get the same results. So from that point, Oh, I had a good conversation with Brian Bell and he told him, I, I am pretty confident that I'm that type of runner that needs to do this kind of work to improve. So, from now on, I need you you know to trust me on it and he you know was really open about it, and he you know accommodated me and we could start noticing the the first improvements so in that year, I went from not making it to you know my uh my to the team in cross country to breaking the a c c record in a ten k in like three months and that same year, I ran like thirteen thirty five uh indoors. And I want two ACC titles, and and I also think a lot of your you know ability to run well has to do with your mood, with your mental health. You know, being far from home is not easy. You you know, and I was an engineering student, so that that was that meant a lot of workload. So all this stuff compounds, and you know, there are so many factors in order to run fast, in order to perform highly. You need to be you know. Um, need to be a happy person, a happy runner, and you need to be in peace with yourself. And there were some times where, you know, I was struggling with, you know, uh, being homesick and, uh, you know, school, uh, studying and all stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I think that's one thing people take for granted when athletes come to the NCAA from Kenya or Europe or, you know, anywhere around the world. They see their personal bests and they think, oh, that's what this person is. They should be running this immediately. And for a lot of people, it's a culture shock or it's a new environment. Like when you come to the NCAA from Italy, what's the biggest adjustment for you that you have to make to that new system?
0: So basically, the the biggest adjustment was the fact that um, athletes in the NCAA basically compete from August to June. So you need to really, you know, dose your energies in order to not burn out at the end of the season. That was you know, the first things I had to learn on myself. And, you know, coming to the NCAA, you come to a, you know, highly competitive environment. So you might be coming from a country where you're used to win races and, you know, think that you are the best to a system where you are one of many, one of many athletes. So you need to adjust to that kind of emotional shock. and But I believe that, you know, mm, Finding myself in a you know in a league with a, a lot of high density you know uh, runners good runners uh, definitely made made me a tougher runner on a mental level for sure.
2: And then once you leave the NCAA, I guess the did you have the option of staying in 2019, 2020, or did you go back home when COVID hit? Like you know when when did you make the decision to return to Italy?
0: So I basically you know graduated. With the worst timing, I graduated in you know spring 2020, where when the pandemic was you know um when it just started, and there was a lot of uncertainty about the future, um, there was a lot of confusion, so I just thought that you know my best option was to you know go back home and initially, I thought about coming for one more semester because like I still had eligibility for outdoor season, so that was an option. Uh, but when I went back to Italy, I just decided to stay there and I just decided, you know, to start training with, uh, with Massimo Magnani, which is my current coach. And Massimo Magnani, um, we, with, with him, we decided, you know, to start this project, this long-term project, um, where our main goal was to run the marathon in Paris. So that was our, you know, main, main target. And there were some intermediate steps that we went through, which were, you know, running some marathons and running, you know, some good 10Ks. And actually, I ran like 27.45 the year I went back to Italy. So I started doing good improvements once I went back to Italy. And I think uh, the fact that I could focus all my energies into running and not dissipate them into, you know, having to, you know, study and do homework and stuff like that. Uh I think that made the difference as well.
3: Yeah, because you were a very good student. I forgot to mention you were ACC Scholar Athlete of the Year from track. You had got two degrees in engineering, and master's degree in engineering. So, congratulations on that. But how were you making a living? I mean, as a twenty-eight, twenty-five guy, could could you get a, a shoe contract? Was the state supporting you initially? What was your financial situation like, and what is it now?
0: So when I went back to Italy my financial situation was not uh the greatest of course cuz like uh it, it was really hard and brands are not really uh going to you know invest on you if you don't prove yourself first. So mine was an investment. I was like uh yeah my financial situation right now is not great but I know for sure I can run fast. So uh, once you run fast Money is a consequence, comes in as a consequence. So I did not focus my, you know, I didn't, I wasn't too much worried about, you know, uh, earning money. I was just worried. I mean, I was just worrying about running fast. And once I won my first year back in Italy, I won four national titles and I could, and that allowed me, you know, to join, um, the police club and that allowed me, you know, to get paid monthly from the state. And, Once I ran uh, 208 in the marathon last year, uh, that opened the doors for me to get an Adidas contract, which definitely helped a lot.
2: If you look at your personal bests on the track, you've run 1328, you've run 2745, which if you stack those up against some of the best times in the NCAA, they're, they're certainly good, but we see a lot of... There are a lot of NCAA runners every year who run times similar to that there are not a lot of runners in the NCAA who then go on to run 207 or 208 in the marathon. So why do you think you were able to do that? And do you think there should be more NCAA runners being able to run that fast in the marathon? Or are you more more of an exception?
0: Um, I think there is no mathematical link between your PRs in the 10K and the marathon. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of good runners they are great in the 10K and when they started running the marathon, they couldn't perform, uh, like they did in the 10K. Uh, and that has to do, I mean, a lot with your, you know, body features, with, um, how, how much you, you know, consume your carbohydrates, which is the, the rate at which, you know, you consume your, uh, the energy that you have and, I'm the type of guy that, uh, at a certain pace, I found myself extremely comfortable. But if I in- increase that pace by a small amount, I start, you know, to, to get, you know, to feel the sting a little bit. And I think it just has to do, you know, with, with the features of, of the athletes. There are some athletes which are just great at shorter stuff and athletes which are, uh, better at, you know, longer, uh, longer races.
3: Well, I guess that makes sense. Like if you go over that just a little bit, then you're in big trouble in a college cross-country. So you said you're running a lot more. How much mileage are you running now and how much were you running in college?
0: So when I was in Syracuse, I never crossed the 100 miles barrier. While well, for this marathon, I was running uh, like 22 miles a day, 20 miles a day at least. That was like one, 140 miles, 150 miles per week sometimes.
3: And where are you based and have you done any altitude training?
0: No, I haven't done any altitude training and that was an option to be honest. And we usually go to altitude during summer because like the weather here is not that great to be honest and it gets too hot. And for marathon training, that's not the ideal the condition. And so I do my training either in Milan or in Ferrara because like my coach is from Ferrara so I basically moved there to, you know, uh, be so he can follow me better. And yeah, that's where I train.
2: And one thing I was curious about is you are Muslim and Ramadan just, just began today, I believe was the first day of Ramadan. So did you pick Barcelona as a race because it fell before Ramadan happened? Like how did you schedule your races around this month of observance?
0: Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. So originally I was about to, I was supposed to run in Sevilla, uh, Sevilla marathon, which is known to be a faster course. And that's where basically all the best Spanish marathon runners go to race. Cause like that's known to be a really fast and, you know, uh, smooth, you know, course. Um, but the thing is that in December I got sick. I got COVID and that has slowed, you know, my preparation. So we had, we didn't have enough time, you know, to get ready. So we had to postpone, you know, uh, yeah. our marathon. And the only available option was Barcelona. Cause like, and, and we chose Barcelona, especially cause like it was just two days before Ramadan and Ramadan is such an important, you know, uh, month for me. And, uh, there's no way, you know, I, I'd skip the month. Uh, it's really important. It's part of my identity and, uh, it's, you know, a month that all Muslims uh, look forward to.
2: Yeah. And, you, you know, for some of our listeners who aren't aware, Ramadan, as part of that, you can't eat or drink during daylight hours. Um, and I'm curious, you know, this, it works out kind of nicely for you now because, you know, you get the little break from running anyway, having just run a marathon. But in years past, how would you handle training during Ramadan?
0: Yeah, so definitely, uh, I mean, you can't train at the same intensity and same quantity as normal, uh, as the normal days. You have to, you know, uh, dose your energies. You have to, you know, uh, moderate the intensity. And I remember, you know, when I was in Syracuse, I was fasting during the day, and I actually had the chance of, you know, doing my workouts during, uh, actually, midnight. That kind of messes up your biological clock, but, I mean, that was, you know, my uh, my best option. So it is something I have, I, I've always done all Muslim athletes, uh, have no struggles with it. As long as you don't push yourself too far beyond your, you know, uh, your limits during Ramadan, you should be, uh, you should be fine, to be honest. And now, like, I mean, now the days, now, now Ramadan gets easier, uh, cause like every year it starts like 10 days earlier. So the day is shorter the day i mean and and it, and it is and it's not that hot so you don't get that thirsty so it's manageable
3: yeah coach bell said he was doing, workouts, was doing with workouts with you at midnight 1 a.m. which sounded crazy
0: yeah yeah that was crazy so would
3: would you go to would you stay up at night or would you go to school in the day how, how did that work like how, you know you, you're not allowed to eat because it it gets dark at you're not allowed to eat until it's dark, and it gets dark in upstate New York at like eight or nine o'clock.
0: Uh yeah. So the sunset. I remember the sunset around seven. Like here, it's around like six thirty now. So, um, and yeah, I mean, you can do that kind of you know training just if you don't have you know if you're not busy during the day, if you don't have to work or go to school, uh, you you, you can train during midnight. I had that kind of chance because like school was over at that time. I mean, when I was in Syracuse, Ramadan was in May. And I remember we'd go with Coach Ball and Coach Bell was great. And I'm really thankful to, you know, to, to the fact that, uh, he helped me with, uh, with Ramadan. He would, you know, uh, follow my, my workouts during midnight. I mean, that was pretty cool to be honest. Cause like we were like the only people, people must have thought we were crazy. I mean, people that drove past us and, you know, seeing us running at midnight uh, they probably thought we were crazy but yeah uh, it's something I, I, I've always done
3: well I think it's great it just it shows you have a passion for the sport I mean you you had you know obviously you had you're talented but you had a number of struggles but you you've kept the dream alive and it looks like you know you'll be in Paris next year you know trying to win a medal for your country so it's it's it was a cool story. It really caught my eye. But yes, those those 3 seconds did matter because if you weren't the Italian record holder, we we might not have had you on. So, um keep running fast and we look forward to seeing what's next. Do you have another marathon already planned for the fall?
0: Actually, I might be coming to the US sometime in November. I don't know. Do you guys have anything interesting in November as a marathon?
2: I think there's a pretty big one a little south of where I am in Boston. So, uh yeah, Could, we'll, we'll keep an eye Let's out see. for
0: you. Yeah.
3: How are you on the hills then, if New York is going to be the destination?
0: I mean, I've been training in Sweet Road in Syracuse. Did Coach Bell talk to you? Has he talked to you about it? Sweet Road?
2: Oh, yeah. We know all about Sweet Road for sure.
0: Yeah. I've been forged by Sweet Road, so I should be fine.
2: If you're a
3: listener don't know what Sweet Road is, we'll, we'll link to an article John wrote about it on the show notes, but it's sort of like the Magnolia Road uh, for Syracuse.
2: Yeah, long tempo, just straight uphill.
3: We'll have to meet yeah. you in, in person because I, I remember Coach Bell would tell my friend Artie Smith about the amazing workouts you were doing, and, and um, it's, it's really all paid off you know, for you now. So congratulations. We'll see you in New York in, yeah. in uh, about half a year.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And I really got to say, I really, I'm always thankful to coach Bell. He is one of the, uh, few persons, few people that has impacted my life. I mean, when I was about to quit running, cause at the end of my collegiate career, I really thought about quitting running. He told me that that would have been such a waste of talent. Cause like he knew he believed in my potential and uh, the fact that I'm running fast now, it's also to him. thanks to him.
3: Oh, that's great, because he spoke very highly of you. said you were a great guy, a big talent, a big engine, and it's a really cool story. So, all right, good luck, see you you soon.
0: Thank you so much, thank you.
1: Let's Run Nation,
0: you wanna do something fulfilling? You wanna
1: give back to the sport you love? You wanna make some money? We've got the opportunity for you. This could be the opportunity of a lifetime. Crazy Running offers running and track and field conditioning programs for kids ages three to 17. They're looking to expand. They're looking for people to run their franchises. They started out with one location in North Carolina. They're now in five states. The co-owners of this thing, one was an Olympic trials, fourth placer. These are runners through and through. You got to check it out. Link in the show notes, crazyrunning.com slash franchise. Check the link in the show notes.